Hello, everyone. That Williams guy here for another episode. Tonight's going to be the third round robin. And the purpose of a round robin is I don't have to think of any questions or come up with any topics. The panelists do it. Uh, I sent out six invitations today and got three people here. Uh, that was last minute on my part, sending them out. So we're just going to count on Ryan McCann uh, stepping up and carrying the load here tonight and, and taking the rest of us to victory. So Ryan, say hello and introduce yourself. Hi, uh, I'm Ryan McCann. Uh, I'm a uh, firearms instructor in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. I work at Citizen Safety Academy and on target shooting sports. Mostly, we just do uh, gateway students. I did just start my own company um, that's got a little bit more intermediate work in it, but uh, for the most part, it's all gateway brand new students. And so that's what I tend to do. Uh, you also worked as an armed courier for a while, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, from the time I was 21 till I was 27 um, and, and in that area, uh, I wandered around in big giant trucks wearing body armor that smelled terrible. Um, and trucks that had no AC taking care of other people's money. I did do that. I don't know if it's possible to keep body armor from smelling horrible. No, it's a very unique stink. Like nothing else smells like sweaty Kevlar. There's and, no and once once it gets that smell, you can't do anything to get it no, out. No, it's done. I remember the time I first discovered like I was like leaning down to grab something in the truck and like the front of my shirt popped open and I caught this stink and I was like, what is that god awful stench? What is that terrible smell? I didn't know. And then I got back to the barn and we were unloading and I popped my shirt so I could take my vest off and i was like oh my god it's me, <laughs> it's me. <laughs> i'm the thing yeah it's not comfortable and i and it does not smell good after after the first year or so of wearing it no oh. all right speaking of stinky body armor eric lund hello uh i'm eric lund um i've been currently uh in law enforcement i uh coming on quickly on the tail end of a totally unremarkable career uh coming up 20, 29 years. Uh, I also had uh, some opportunity to shoot professionally. So I was a competition shooter, uh, firearms instructor, and a whole host of uh, instructor credits, uh, everything from sticks and knives to handguns and machine guns and everything in between. So um, yeah, that's kind of who I am and what I do. And you are the only guest on the show that has ever been a division two running back. I, I have. Uh, who's going to win the D2 championship this year? There's only one correct answer. Uh, Westchester. No, no, no. It's Valdosta State, brother. Come, Come on, on. Come on. In the only head-to-head matchup between our two schools, which one won? Westchester. No. No, no, no. You might have to, um, you might have to do some research on that one. Uh-huh. I, I already have. <laughs> trust me. <laughs> I, yep. I was in, I'm just in the stands. I, didn't, I wasn't good enough to play. So. Well, that was a long time ago in a galaxy far away for me. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Shannon Pable. Hello. Um, I am currently a firearms instructor, mainly for women. Um, I am a retired landscape, landscape designer. Um, so now I'm kind of enjoying my retirement and teaching women and um, enjoying it. Don't have a whole lot to add. Y'all have all the experience. I, I just hang out and learn from y'all. All right. And you're also, you're based in uh, Northeast Georgia. I am. I am near you. I wish you'd come back and start teaching again here. 
Well, tell people like your name of your company and like where you teach and okay. stuff. Um, it's Shannon's Garden and Gun Gallery. So sort of a play on the landscape thing. Um, I do have a website. Um, I'm not website savvy, but <laughs> I did pay somebody to make it for me. And it's under shannoncable.com. Um, I'm also on Facebook. You can find me there under Shannon Pable. Uh, also Shannon's Garden and Gun Gallery on Facebook. He's also a great line partner at the range, just in oh, case you're wondering. <laughs> Likewise. Uh, hopefully I will have stuff locally here in Georgia next year. Uh, just this year was just a, a uh, it never worked out when my schedule had an opening and, and the range was available uh, for me to do anything locally. Um, and so I, everything I've taught so far this year has been on the road, but yeah, I'm, I'm in talks with uh, Red Hill about doing some stuff next year if, if we get oh, this schedule. We so, miss you. It would be nice to actually sleep in my own bed and yeah. get up and go teach a firearms class. So, all right, so I will start us off with the first topic tonight. Um, I just had to actually cancel an upcoming class in October because I am having hand surgery here in a couple of weeks and it is on my dominant hand. And so I will be a lefty for a period of time. Now, thankfully, I've spent a lot of time working, you know, support hand uh, operation because Shannon, you've taken my critical pistol skills class, haven't you? Oh yeah. Yeah. It was probably one of the toughest classes I'd taken. All right, well, it's been renamed to Pistol Craft 4 because uh, you're going to come through 1, 2, and 3 before we come through that class. It's not oh, yeah. going to be taught as a standalone again. Um, yeah, so I'm, I feel confident in being able to walk around with the gun on the left side. Um, but if we look at it in the grand scheme of things and we, and we look at percentage of time that we should spend training with, say, something like support hand-only skills, you say, well, it rarely, if ever, happens in private citizen context that you have to use a firearm, so you shouldn't spend much time on it. You get one answer. But if you look at it from the context of my strong hand may be out of commission for a long time because of an injury or such, you know, wouldn't it be nice to already have those skills before I'm put in that, that position? So, Ryan, what are your thoughts? Um, so I, this is actually one's kind of personal to me. Uh, I did uh, a lot of combat sports growing up. I, I boxed paper college. Um, and I, uh, I've done rest. I wrestled all the way through middle school and high school, uh, a lot of jujitsu and Muay Thai. And that stuff is really hard on the hands and the wrists and the shoulders. Uh, so I constantly, my right hand and, and elbow and shoulder are kind of constantly messed up. Uh, like it, it's never, it, it, most of the time it's fine. Like I don't, I, it's not like crippling or anything, but there are times, particularly if I'm working out really heavy or I'm training really heavy where my whole right arm, it, it gets hard to lift it past, you know, the shoulder and my wrist and my elbow, like, like grabbing the gun is actually hard. Uh, so uh, shooting left-handed, I, although I, I do admit when I practice support hand only, I, I generally practice as if I only have one hand. Yeah. Um, I rarely do two-handed 
uh, shooting with my left hand because I I operate under the assumption if I'm not using my right hand, it's because I can't. Uh, So I I tend to do that. I think it's important. I think think doing a lot of stuff support hand only makes you better all around. Like you, you don't spend a whole day shooting support hand only or doing support hand stuff and then come out of it like, well, I'm not any better now. Like when you switch the gun back to the main hand and you get both hands back on it, you, you find you tend to be a lot better overall, or I, I do anyway. All right. Mr. Lund. Yeah, I find that it is part of just being a better all around competent with your firearm right? Like you made the point, it very rarely ever happens, right? Well, when you look at the total number of people that carry firearms for self-defense and protection of family, and you look at the percentages of those people that actually have to use them, that very rarely ever happens where they actually have to use them. So the idea that, well, I'm, I'm really not going to use it, or it's a very, very remote chance, that I may have to use my support hand. What goes along with that is if it comes time that you are going to have to use it, you're really going to need those skills because what are we making the assumption? One, that I'm already in some type of gunfight or some type of serious situation. I've already taken some level of damage and it's enough damage to mitigate my skills to the point where I can't even use my now dominant hand and I have to transition and and start using my support hand, my posture now from a fighting position goes from trying to be aggressive and dominant and dictate the fight to being in a purely defensive mode. How long can I hold this guy off until he gets tired and wants to go away or the police come or something else intervenes because you take that kind of a hit or you sustain that kind of a damage you're still not going to be aggressive and start trying to drive that fight with that kind of damage. So as part of taking your individual skill set seriously, you need to have some level of support hand competency for that what if scenario. And it's just like car insurance, right? I don't anticipate being in an accident. But there are things that happen beyond my control that put me in those situations. I don't anticipate taking a hit and taking a severe enough hit that I can no longer use my strong side or strong hand. I have to go support side only. But it gives me more confident about my skill level and a positive mental attitude to survive that situation if I have some competent level skills. Now, If you want to take that to the nth degree, the guys that I have seen that are truly ambidextrous, left, right, they have an impressive ability, especially when we start talking about long guns and shotguns and rifles, be able to switch shoulders and take advantage and do this stuff. And when you see somebody that has that level of competency and skill set, I mean, I just sit back and just mentally golf clap them. I mean, nice job. You know, I mean, it's impressive to watch. So I think on some level, you have to have some level of competency. What that means is individual. I have my own standards. You have yours. Everyone has their level of what they feel is confident. And I think if you want to be an all around um, competent shooter and you take self-defense seriously, then support side skill sets are, are important. Shannon? 
Um, yeah, like Ryan said, I think overall it makes you a better shooter. Um, I practice, you know, strong hand and support hand every week. Um, but something I remember that that Tom Gibbons did in um, our master instructor class was he had us wear a mirror holster. I think I borrowed your holster for that class. Mm -hmm. um, so I could draw from the left side, shoot from the left side, which is my support hand. And he said, what you're experiencing is like what a new shooter experiences. And that was an eye opener. So I thought, yeah, you know, because you're really having to think about <laughs> when your left hand is holding it and then your right hand and oh, where do my thumbs go? And it's just, you're having to flip everything around. Um, but it, you know, like Greg was saying, it's definitely a, an important skill set to have. You may not have access to your dominant hand all the time. And it's nice to know or have that confidence to know I can shoot my target with my left hand or my right hand. Yeah, like, like Ryan was saying, when I practice support hand, I'm typically only doing support hand only uh, because I know the theory that if I'm if that's where the gun is, it's because my dominant hand is not working. Yeah. Um, but I do see value in the theory of doing everything mirror image. And for one thing, if you have to teach a student that shoots from the opposite hand as you, yeah. you, you know, you're you're not well. Take everything I say and do it reverse. That's what I was, that's what I was going to say about that. Like, that's the, that's one of the other things. Like if you, um, I've, I've taken like basic level, like, uh, pistol, not like, like the very basic level classes, but like where you start working from the holster, uh, mm -hmm. defensive pistol level one that I've done them with a left-handed holster before. Um, and because it is one thing to, I mean, there is some honesty in saying, okay, do there, do what I do, but just do it reverse there, there like okay imagine it's this foot forward instead of this foot forward there is some of that right but like you it doesn't really translate that way when like when somebody's sitting there staring at you in front of a classroom being like you know just reverse my hands you know just i want you to like not everybody has the spatial like mental skills to be able to look at your hands on there and be like oh well okay i'll just swap that mm -hmm. that, that's not like a common universal mental ability where there, there's very little people that actually spatially can just like look at what you're doing and actually put it into effect on their own. Like you have to be able to explain it to them. And if you've never done it before, it doesn't matter if it's right hand or left hand. If you've never done it before, then how are you going to explain it to them? Right. I mean, you can say grab with a, I, I, I even get to the point now in classes where I just stop saying right hand, left hand. It's always gun hand, support hand. After I do that question at the beginning of class where I'm like, how many lefties do we have in here? Right. And to see if we have any of the 12 percenters. Um, from that point on, it's gun hand, support hand. Gun hand, support hand. I, I want to get into your idea that like one of these hands does this, the other hand does that. It doesn't really matter particularly which one of those hands it is. But I don't think you can effectively convey that technique or how to do certain things if you've never actually done it with your left hand yeah especially if you have a new shooter yeah with no with no context like didn't play duck hunt exactly. like 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 you have to you have to like show them like you have to figure out ways to explain sight picture other than like putting sights up on the board, you have to like, there's gotta be another way to explain this. Like, so there's a whole lot of stuff that goes into it that 
if you've actually done it, like spent, you know, several times, like once, at least several times in your career, gone through like an eight hour course doing things only left-handed really helps like the critical pistol skills that we went through. That class helped me, Lee, not in, uh, in terms of like, I mean, it did help in terms of like doing the stuff manipulation left-handed. There was a lot of stuff that got answered in that. But the, one of the things that helped that I called you like, I don't know, it must've been like six months ago when I had that one student come in. Um, Cause I'm also our chief range safety officer at the range and we're instructor on staff. So when new shooters come in, one of us has to go out with them. And she only had one hand. She, her, she had no hand below her elbow. So like, the critical pistol skills class, like there was so much stuff from that class. I was like, oh, wow, I, I can actually use this to help somebody. And like, like that, this is because I hadn't really gotten a chance to use it beyond my own personal edification over the, uh, since I took that, it was like two or three years ago that I took that critical pistol skills. But uh, knowing how to do it really helped me teach a person that only had one hand. Uh, that was a fun phone call for me. Yeah, because I readily sell students in, in that class. So like, look, this is a 1% skill. This is something mm-hmm. that, you know, you do when you've got all the other stuff mastered and, you know, come out and practice this stuff once a year. I practice it when I teach the class. Typically uh, the only example that I can point to in real life in which it became written, which is why I actually kind of developed, started teaching the class was a rookie cop near me got shot in the hand and did not know how to get in, a, in his dominant hand, did not know how to get his pistol out of his duty holster to deal with the threat and asked to respond to EMT to get his pistol out of the holster for him. And so I immediately, you know, started working on that with my guys on the range. And, you know, so I always wonder how does it translate over to the private citizen? And then when I got that call from you, it's like, well, hey, we had a good success story. It, Dude, it, was, it was, it was exactly what I needed. She's like, I, I don't have a hand. And I'm like, this is, going to sound weird but i actually know how to do this with one hand i can i can show you how to do this with one hand so that was it not just in terms of like your own performance as a shooter if you are a firearms instructor and all that entails and what it actually means then like you need to be able to do this like how do you teach a person with one hand how do you how do you teach a person that's deaf like like all those like weird little things and like all the different little things that you do, like the, the classes you take, you can pick stuff up like that from there. Yeah. Kind of an offshoot from that. Um, you know, one of the things that, that, that people want to want to talk about is like grabbing the ground with your toes and everything. Uh, I was in a class recently where as a student, where the instructor talked to the student about getting more aggressive and maybe doing that. And the student said, I've got two club feet. Oops. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. like you, you ran into the student that only had one hand. Yeah. You know, it's weird. Like, but it happened. Yeah, we've got to have some depth to our teaching skill to be able to deal with those type situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Check in. Thing, go ahead, Eric. Another thing I could offer up in that is just we we circle back to um, how relevant are these skills, right? How how much time do I have to put in? And where I said earlier that you need to reach a level of competency um, and be confident with that skill set. One thing that I've noticed over my career of doing simunitions and being involved, not just uh, with my agency, but other agencies playing bad guys, I have noticed over years and years of this, that 
when I do some munitions and I role play as the aggressor, I take an inordinate number of hits in my hands and forearms. Because if I'm aiming at you, my hands and forearms are the center mass of my target that you're aiming at me. So to put that training in context for your students, when I, when I teach those skills, I'm like, if I'm locked in and I'm a threat and you're engaging me, what is in front of all of my upper body that is going to get hit? So I, I, I use that as an example to put that in context that when you get that, well, that very rarely ever happens. I'm like, you're right, but it, it rarely happens only to the point that you're involved in a shooting. When you're involved in a shooting, I just know from this experience, I take a high level of hits in my hits and forearms because they're center mass of what they're shooting. So that reinforces to me and hopefully reinforces to the students why this is important because, you know, you may not be in a gunfight, but when you're there, there could be a, a higher probability you take this kind of hit than you realize. John Hearn, are you good to go? John? Apparently not. John checked in here just a second ago, but apparently he has uh, vanished. Oh. All right. So we will throw it to Ryan McCann for Ryan to ask his question. So um, what do you do? Oh, hold on. What do you do when only one or two students show up for your class? Like mentally, like, cause like say you had a bunch and it, it only really works like in my context uh, where we have the fixed location and we're always offering carry permit class or safety class or something like that. Um, but it's one person, like I'm salaried. I'm going to get paid regardless. I have to be here. Like, how do you mentally stay in? Like when it's just one person you there or two people, maybe three in that classroom and you're just, you know, for the next eight hours, it's you and them. Like, how do you stay in? Because it's really easy to, to check out, I think, for a lot of people at that point where, you know, you expected a lot more to be here. Like, so how do you stay checked in? That's what I want to know. Eric? So I will, I'll use that to my advantage. So when I get uh, a smaller than expected group or I get a smaller group, rather than go with the, the, you know, the, the negative connotation of, well, you know, we didn't get many people show up. There's not here as, as I'll spin it the other way. I'm like, Hey, this is awesome. You know, like we only got a, a smaller group. Not only are you guys going to get plenty of reps and, and plenty of individual work, but I anticipate that I'm going to be able to even get you some more material than what you came to show or what you showed up for, because we're going to be able to work through this material faster and, and get you more reps and get you more confident in what you're doing. And uh, because now I don't have 10 guys on the line or two relays of five, I've got three people I can put on the line all at the same time and start rolling with them. And I try to give them um, kind of a reward for being the, the ones that showed up for whatever reason, you know, the weather, you know, we get out here in Georgia and, you know, you run classes in June and July and uh and it's 
95 and high humidity, you get some people that are like, yeah, I'm not coming. <laughs> and uh, they don't show up. So the people that do show up, I actually try to reward them and, and try to give them uh, material that wasn't, you know, that's not part of the class or that next level material or, you know, and just uh, take that opportunity to give them uh, more than what they expected. And then hopefully they go out and, uh, and, and on their reviews are, man, this was awesome. It was a small class. We got a lot of repetitions and, uh, and, uh, and it just worked out really good that way. And, uh, so hopefully, um, we get a lot of, uh, you know, positive reviews. So I try to use that as a, as an advantage. Shannon. Uh, since I teach a lot of one-on-ones, um, I really like it. I, I like a small group. Um, I can really zero in, um, just like what Greg was saying. Uh, I can spend more time with that person, really watch them, see what they might be doing right, what they're doing wrong. Um, but during COVID, there were a lot of classes that, um, we only had, you know, just a couple people show up and, um, but it, it was great. It was good for them. They got a lot more out of the class. They got a lot more one-on-one -on -one time. So um, I don't have a problem with it at all. I, I actually prefer a small group. All right. Um, I haven't had a class in a long time where only like a couple of people showed up. Uh, I have had some here that have had like half capacity and we only ran one relay instead of two. Now I can think about, you know, in the early days of my company, I was renting an indoor range over in Metro Atlanta on Sundays to teach. And we, you know, if I only got like three students, I mean, I taught the class for 50 bucks. And I just had to keep plowing through that because I didn't want to get the reputation of, well, he's just going to cancel the class. So I'm not going to bother signing up. And so I went and I soldiered on and taught a lot of those classes with just two or three students. And those students, help start spreading the word and help get the business going so if you're an instructor and you're facing that you know you can quit or you can soldier on and you can get it going and you still have to deliver the good product uh, what the challenge that i find in say like you've got a class that you plan on say a minimum of 10 students and you're going to do two five-man relays and you only get five students so you're running the one relay uh, the challenge I see in that is it's hard to keep those students. It's like every time they go back to load magazines to get them back to the line, because then when they go back, they want to stop and talk and everything. And so it seems like you start losing, you know, an extra five, an extra 10, an extra 15 minutes every time we have to go load max. Whereas when you're running um, two relays, you can do your teaching points you run the first relay through the drill and then you send them back to load mags, drink water, go use the bathroom or whatever, while you then run the second group through the drill uh, that, you know, that reinforces your teaching points. And yeah, you know, that to me, a class flows better. It's funny because I've taught the same class here a couple of times recently. Well, once I had five, once I had, you know, double digit numbers of students and we got through the material faster with the more students because there was less downtime so ryan what do you do when you face that or 
I guess, Ryan. So um, I actually, I started doing um, coaching before I did anything else. Uh, Cause I just started working at a gun range. I, I wasn't an instructor yet. I didn't, um, I had carried a gun for a living in a poultry way that wasn't like overly cool. Um, I had done a little bit of training. I was just the only one that worked at that place back in the day that actually had done any sort of training and had any inclination to actually teach. So it started as, you know, just go out there with this person and make sure that they know what they're doing. And then it was, all right, would you rather, would you like to do a safety class one night a week that I used to, when I first started teaching it, it was, it was free and, um, and nobody showed up. Uh, Akil Kadir is my mentor. And uh, I had just gone through way, oh God, this was years ago. I just gone through basic pistol instructor with him and I was getting ready to go into the range master basic instructor. Uh, and I'm like, why is nobody showing up for this class? And he's like, because it's free. He's like, they, they won't, they, people just, they, they think if it's free, there's, there's, no, there's nothing of value there. He's like, charge 20 bucks. And I guarantee you, people start showing up. Uh, and sure enough, like 20 bucks and people started showing up. And, um, but it was always one, two, three, four. Like now the safety class is a little bigger. We generally have between like six and 15 people on a pretty consistent basis. But for the first four or five years I was doing it, it was, it was really consistently like one, two people um, where some lady walks in and you, and you put a blue gun down on the table in front of her and she just burst into tears. <laughs> it's just like, you're like, oh my God, it, like nobody told me about this. Like nobody told me this was going to be a thing. I, I, it doesn't bother me. I like it. I'm glad somebody's there. I'm, I'm continually shocked that anybody wants to come and hang out with me for that amount of time and listen to what I have to say about it. So I'm I, anytime anybody shows up, I'm, I'm just pretty stoked that they're, that they're there. So I, it, now it can be if you're at the tail end of a long week. Um, and this is like the last thing you got to do before your, before your weekend, before your days off. And like, one person shows up for that two hour safety class and you're like, okay, okay. All right. All right. All right. Let's do this. Right. Um, it, but after about 15 minutes, I'll generally be, I'll be fine. I'm just, I'm just glad they're there. Like, there's not a lot of people that get to do what I do for a living. Uh, so I, I, I tend to be really glad that I'm actually getting to do it. It doesn't, it doesn't particularly bother me if attendance numbers are low, but that is, that's unique because I am, I'm a salaried instructor in the private world, which isn't a common thing that, that a lot of the times it's, it's your kind of, you have to hustle up your own work and make your own money. Uh, I'm, I'm getting paid the same regardless. So I think it's a little bit like, I, I, I think it's a little bit high horsey of me to be like, Oh no, you just kind of suck it up and be glad they're there. I do understand that. Oh, John Hearn has checked back in and he is sitting at gunsight and he has spotty internet. But yeah, I know he's bragging about that, sitting but, at gunsight. But hopefully uh John's internet will work for him to answer this question because he is a an authority on you know low attendance numbers in classes. Wow. That's almost as mean as my comment that I was thinking earlier when uh, Ryan was shocked that he got something useful out of his class. I'm like, we're all kind of shocked by that. Uh, but low attendance classes, um, 
I I kind of see those as my chance to play around and tweak and give more individual attention. Um, so I like the and sometimes when I end up with less people, uh, you know, that's when I'll try that maybe the third or the fourth way to communicate something. Um, you know, it's just the nature of the beast. Sometimes you get uh, strong numbers, sometimes you don't. And uh, I think that we tend to forget how much you learn to teach better by just teaching. So even it may be a low class, dude, it's a chance to teach. It's a chance to hone your craft. So, you know, get everything you can out of it. All right. Well, John, while you have the air, ask your question. Uh, one of the things I've been pondering for a while is the, the business, for lack of a better word, seems to be very, very focused on solely developing technical shooting skill without much concern for teaching people how to apply it. So I heard some mention earlier about force on force and stuff like that. And that stuff is great, but really rare. So I guess my question for the group is, how do you help your students contextualize the training you're offering them? Eric Lund. Well, contextualize. Um, so I try to push that there are two distinctions. We have, uh, you know, I kind of classify my courses as operator classes and um, gunfighting classes. And I phrase it this way. Before I can teach you how to race a car, I have to teach you how to drive a car, right? So I can, before I can teach you how to fight with a gun, I have to teach you how to run a gun. And the contextualizing comes in and understanding that these classes that I'm doing are operated. They're skill set based classes. They're the classes to improve your skill sets and competency. You go through one of my operator classes, it doesn't mean you're ready to be a gunfighter. All right. All it means is it's it's a wait, 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 to, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You said before the show started, you know, well, we're gonna break the internet. Did I just hear a grandmaster admit that there's a difference between running the gun and fighting with a gun? Oh yeah, absolutely. I will freely admit that. <laughs> yes. And, uh, but that's not my break the internet moment. Uh, I'm saving okay. that one for later. All right. <laughs> um, I'd point out that they banned Ben Steger for less. So you're going to be the next one to go. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't, uh, I don't get in those politics of, uh, of that anymore. Um, but no, it's uh, contextualizing it is look, what we're learning here is, how to run the gun. It's very similar to if you, if you work your way through any type of martial arts system and you get to a black belt, the black belt isn't the end, it's the beginning. Now you have the basic skills in the art to start really developing it. So when you come through any level of classes that focus on uh, learning how to run the gun, they're not teaching you how to fight. They're just teaching you to learn how to be competent with the system that you choose. So when you put that in context, you know, I, I tell my students that, that gunfighting is problem solving at speed, right? Thinkers are greater than shooters. I need people that can think critically in compressed time frames and evaluate what's going on. Anyone can pull the trigger. I can teach anyone to pull a trigger, right? But the, what I need are people that can critically think at speed to solve problems. And not every problem has a trigger pull for a solution. In fact, most of them very, very rarely do. 
So I try to put the context between driving the car and racing the car, the context between learning how to shoot a gun to learning how to fight with a gun. Now, if you want to have conversations about, well, where do we go to get that next level? That's a, that's a larger, deeper conversation on a different topic. But that's, that's essentially how I try to contextualize what I do with my students. Shannon? Yeah, I mainly teach um, basic handgun classes um, and one-on-ones, mainly for women. Um, and usually women that are brand new, um, they'll say, I, I need help with my gun. I've never shot a gun before. And what, you know, I need a gun safety class is usually what they end up saying. And so usually um, I start out by telling them that the very first thing you're going to learn are the safety rules and how to safely as much as possible, handle your firearm, and you're gonna learn how the firearm works. But if you walk away with anything, remember anything, I just want you to learn the safety rules and that's it um, for being a basic handgun, for being a basic class. Um, so I don't really, I guess to answer John's question, I don't have such a huge assortment of classes where I'm gonna differentiate between them. Um, like Greg is. Um, I do a lot of one-on-ones with intermediate shooters. Um, I've had some that want to get into competition shooting. And like Greg was saying, there's definitely a difference um, learning how to shoot competitively versus just learning the basics, um, learning how to handle your firearm. So I don't know if that really answers John's question? Well, I think it does. You know, if that's not the context of what you're doing with your business, you're dealing primarily with the gateway student. That's, right. This 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 really in the baby step phase. And they're they're just having to get familiar with the gun, much less think about fighting with the gun. I also want to point out that uh, I made such an impression on Shannon that she thinks my name is Greg, even though it says Eric on the screen, but I'm good. <laughs> Right. Maybe it would help if I put my readers on. That's the hair. That's okay. I've got mine handy just in case. Okay. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I kept doing that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like now I forgot what I was going to say. All right. Well, then we'll go to Ryan McCann for his answer. I, context is a weird thing, right? Like, um, like I, because I do teach mostly what I teach are carry permit safety class. That, that's just the large majority of what I teach. Um, I do teach for a citizen safety academy a lot of uh, basic pistol instructor, uh, and I find that tends to be where I, I tend to start really hammering more on context. But in, in a carry permit class, a, a lot of the time it's trying to explain to people that this isn't what you think it's going to be right like um the carry permit class like everybody like a lot of people tend to really focus on like a lot of instructors around here anyway tend to really focus on the shooting part of it the shooting test and the written test and i get that because that's what you have to do to get the students you know pass which is what you want but um 
I mean, if I was going to design a class to teach you how to shoot, it wouldn't be, you know, six hours of PowerPoint and 45 minutes on the range. It would be, you know, 45 minutes of PowerPoint and six hours on the range if, that, if that's what I was trying to do. So in my opinion, like the, the carry, Tennessee carry permit class is at its heart a legal use of force class. And, and trying to explain to people when to use, when it's okay to use your gun or when you should use your gun is a, is a hard thing. Like, cause there's no simple answers to that. Right. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't teach tactics. I'm not, I'm not a tactics guy. I was never in the military. I was never in law enforcement. Um, I've taken tactics classes, uh, a fair amount of them, but I don't, I don't, I don't feel like I have the, I don't feel like I have the background to really to teach that kind of stuff. So um, to John's questions, like I do tend to focus more on my more intermediate stuff that I teach. I tend to focus more on, you know, technical skills. Um, and I'll throw like some very basic tactic stuff in there, like a difference between cover and concealment. Um, uh, like uh, don't crowd cover. That's a, it's, unless you really have to, it's probably a bad idea. Um, but trying to make thinkers, most people can't explain to you why they got their coffee this morning, why they chose where to go, where they went to eat breakfast. Like a lot of people don't really spend a, much time thinking about why they do anything that they do. So I have eight hours with them to try and make them start thinking about stuff that one, they don't want to think about. Like most people don't want to think about this stuff. Like a lot of times a carry permit class is checking the box. Uh, it's just something to do. Um, but having to try and get them to think about like, um, what do you, what do you, what do you, what do you do when somebody comes into your house in the middle of the night? Do you, do you just, you grab your gun, you hop out of bed and you walk out to the living room, like wider and just, here we go. Right. Is that the best plan? Or is there another way to go about this? Um, but I, even if I, even if I do like hammer on them for that eight hours, that maybe that's not the best plan. Maybe you don't need to think like a lot of these, a lot of the, the carry permit students that you get are, it, it's kind of like a, it's, it's kind of like an amusement park, right? They're, they're going once. They're probably never going to carry their gun. Um, so like you hope the, the things that you, they do remember from this class are are enough that if they do ever have to use it that it sticks with them i, I don't know I, I i i for trying to create context and make them think i use videos i i try to get them out of the the john wick mindset of what tv gunfights look like and what real actual gunfights look like so so i'll grab some stuff from from active self-protection I'll grab stuff just off YouTube that I can see and be like, okay, this is what it looks like when somebody actually tries to stab you. So what do you do? Are you going to run away? You're going to run away. When's the last time you ran anywhere? Like ran, like somebody's like, like can you outrun a 22 year old meth head? They're basically superheroes from two o'clock in the morning till seven o'clock in the morning. So is run the best plan? Is, is your pepper spray the best plan? Is your gun the best plan? But I, I don't have time to give them all of that. What I can do is hopefully get them thinking about it. And honestly, I, I like, I haven't 
figured out how to like uh, another way yet. I, I'm going to keep trying, but I, I haven't figured out a better way yet other than to just actually tell them, like show them like what it looks like instead of what they think it's going to be like. Cause that's the biggest thing I found the biggest hurdle I found to creating competent shooters is trying to remove delusion <laughs> uh, to remove that and, and, and hopefully get them actually thinking about these things the way they're going to happen and not the way that they, when you know that you, you know, when, when you were a kid and you war gamed out your gunfight in your head, um, you were always quigly, right? Uh, I said, I didn't like handguns. I didn't say I didn't know how to use them. I mean, is that is like, there's a lot of that kind of mentality that goes on with people and they think they're just all of a sudden going to be able to do the thing without ever having done the thing. To get the quote correct, he said, I said I never had much use for one. I didn't say I didn't know how to use it. Oh, that's my bad. Forgive yeah. me. Yeah. And tell Tom Selleck I'm sorry. I never said I didn't know how to use it. Yeah. Uh, Hearn, it's, answer your own question. Uh, well, it's like what I keep thinking about. Um, I can remember something Skip Gokenhauer said that, you know, the problem is anytime we start launching it, uh, projectiles at people, it tends to turn into a game. And, you know, his solution was just to do, you know, application with blue guns. I'm thinking cert pistols might be another good venue for that. I know they make cert pistols now in different style guns, um, different sizes, even 365 sizes. So I've been trying to think, um, you know, could you use those to help contextualize the skills, whether it's, you know, like a mini scenario or something like that. Uh, you know, part of the problem with force on force is you've got the overhead, the protection and stuff like that. And cert guns or just blue guns, depending on what you're trying to do, um, you know, might be a good way to start to do that. All right. Um, I tend to divide my classes into into two things, kind of like what Eric was describing. I call them technical classes or application classes. And you know, technical classes we tend to focus purely on the technical running of the of the firearm. Uh, with my core philosophy of you know, number one important thing is getting the gun between you and the bad guy in a usable form, and then pressing the trigger without moving the gun. Uh, application wise my flagship course on that uh with handguns is, is not what i call pistol craft i used to call it defensive pistol skills and what it is is a live fire class that basically incorporates all of the lifestyle rules as codified by colonel cooper uh, back in the day and actually putting that into a live fire visual um context that gives the student something to wrap their brain around with that versus it just being you know yes the rule says we never allow our muzzle to cover something we don't intend to shoot well in the class we put that to the test and that's just one of my soapbox areas too that if you uh in your safety brief give that rule but then in your training you allow students to violate that rule are you not invalidating your own safety brief i, I just something to throw it out ryan's got his hand up Ed, Ryan. uh somebody mentioned in, in the chat um the image-based decision drills thing that mm -hmm. um yeah yeah uh that uh shelly and brian do um i actually went through that and i thought it was actually pretty useful um i, I actually got a, a a fair amount out of that and it, it's not um it's not the it's not the 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 missing link. I don't think it is quite that, 
but it does get people to start um, thinking about what they're going to do and why they're going to do it. Uh, I, I actually like that. That was a lot more of a. I actually really enjoyed that. Like the image, I, I think people don't get. I think people should probably get into a shoot house or a force on force uh, training stuff a little bit earlier than we tend to want them to. I think they probably should. I don't, I don't, um, maybe not like full on live fire with a shoot house, but uh, I think it might be a good idea to get people to start doing more, uh, doing less flat range stuff earlier on. I, I don't think that's a, a bad way to go about it. The problem is you start running into issues of like legal liabilities and mm-hmm. insurance to cover that kind of stuff. And it, and it, 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 it becomes an issue, but I would, if I had the uh, the ability or the access to a facility, I would really like to get um, some of my like not quite like not like just got my carry permit uh, level students, but like I've gone through I don't know uh, defensive pistol one and two. I've gone through uh, range master combative handgun. I've gone through uh, Brian Hill's essential pistols or something like that, and then get them into an actual application course uh, a little earlier on. I don't, I don't think that's a bad idea, um, but I, like, what do I know? Shannon, do you have anything you wanted to add on the uh, image-based decisions? Yeah. Um, so I'm a co-leader for um, Armed Women of America. Um, and so we've been running a lot of the ladies through the drills and Oh my gosh, they can't get enough of it. Um, and it's been a real eye opener for them. Um, just various things like all of a sudden you're pulling out of your driveway and some guys at your window, what are you gonna do? And so we have to take them through that thought process. And you know, you pull up to your driveway and you see your garage door partway open. What are you gonna do? Um, are you gonna you know, go in there and see what's going on? Or are you just going to sit out in your car and wait and call 911 and, you know, or call your husband or your neighbor? Hey, did you see anything going on? So it really gets some thinking just about practical applications um, of things that really can happen. Um, you see somebody, you know, your purse is sitting over here on, on a bench and you see somebody starting to filter through your, your purse. Well, you don't know them from Adam. Maybe it's a really big guy, you know, you're not going to go over there and, and pull your gun on him. You know, you're going to stand back maybe from a distance. He doesn't see you. You take a picture, call 911, you know, so it's learning what possibilities are out there. So you can actually practice these decisions ahead of time. Um, you know, I can't tell you how many times, you know, the ladies just kept saying, oh, I want to do this again. I want to do this again. Um, and it was it was a great learning lesson because in the process, we were also telling them about, you know, when you can use lethal force and when it's non-lethal or maybe you just need to de-escalate um, or run, just run, just get out of there. So it's an excellent option for teaching people. Um, the other thing I was going to mention is 
not everybody needs to own a gun. <laughs> there are people out there, and I would say maybe 5% of the women that I teach, um, I'll always bring extra, extra um, you know, cans of OC spray and I'll hand them out um, because there's some women that are so nervous and so afraid and you think, oh, well, maybe time after time, you know, you'll get used to it. There's some personality types. You just give them the, the palm and, and okay, I think this is, well, you just need to stop here because honestly, you'll probably do more harm than good. Um, but that's just a very small percentage. But I just wanted to, you know, put that out there because, you know, we're, we're teaching people, but there are some students where you think, you know, yeah, they they probably shouldn't shouldn't have a gun on them. All right, Hearn, you got your hand up. Uh, two thoughts, sir. I agree completely with what she just said. Um, I think that if you if you're not sure that you could kill somebody, don't carry a gun. It's just that simple. And knowing that is hugely important. Realistically, if you are pretty sure you can't kill somebody. But you walk around life with your head on the swivel of bright flashlight and a can of OC, you're still going to be able to solve 97% of the problems you are likely to face. You just need to be aware that's who you are and your need to de-escalate and escape. It's just going to come in that whole process. Earlier. I can't agree enough. With what you said. The other thing I was going to throw out there about the image-based decision-making is I think that is the gateway force-on-force -force way to do it. Okay, it's almost impossible to sell force on force classes. Uh, I want us to take the ding from the, the marking cartridge or the airsoft and stuff like that. What we need is a gateway into that world where you're still making decisions under some kind of duress. And I was going to, you know, I think the image based decision making really is kind of the, the gateway class for that. I, I uh, did a real quick session with Shlip when we were up at the Bulwarks a couple of years ago, and it was just, it's a great, very low overhead system. It can be done live fire. It can be done dry practice. Uh, really can't say enough about that as far as a really, really good solid entry point uh, for those concerns. All right, Eric, you had your hand up, so make your comment, and then when you're done with that, ask your question. Okay. Um, yeah, it, reference earlier, and I, I agree with what John said, um, reference earlier to simunitions is you know expensive and there's all the issues to do it realize that simunitions is just part of the force on force once you've got to the gunfight part and getting people into thinking sooner you don't need a shooting solution for that you can run go to the classes that are managing unknown threats or managing unknown contacts where it's the primary objective is that class is the very first, um, you know, defensive mindset, which is avoidance, right? Avoiding the conflict, recognizing, doing all that stuff. And those type classes, managing unknown contacts is where you start to develop the thinking process. So you can run a, a one or a two day class about managing context, you know, giving people evil glares, setting boundaries, voicing it, you know, hand position, you know, if they get too close, how to break contact, you know, all, all of that, which, as John mentioned, is going to encompass 97% of any type of defensive situations. 
But what it does is it gets people starting about thinking and solving these problems. That's not a shooting solution. And once they start to develop this mindset of, you know, pre-assault indicators and positioning and posturing and setting boundaries. And when they break those boundaries, what's next gets them thinking about uh, what these next steps are going to be before we get to the simunitions and the, and the shooting solution part. So, um, so the question, um, I get this quite often is that people ask me about, uh, going to other classes and other instructors. And so my question for the group is it's one thing when I know somebody and I'm going to reference, uh, you know, I recommend Lee's class or recommend John through his reputation. Um, if Lee says he's a good guy, that's good enough for me, you know, but when you have all of the new people that are opening up businesses and hanging out shingles and offering training, what are your red flags for other instructors that you try to vet for people as, you know, what's a red flag that pops up for you that if you're, you're doing and vetting an instructor for a recommendation, what are those things that you see that and you're instantly like, yeah, no, that's not going to work. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to work with that person. Well, he must have uh, piqued John Hearn's interest because his hand immediately shot up. So we'll go to John. No, I just thought, because I asked, we were, I think we're discussing somewhere else on the internet, people showing up. So signs that you probably don't want to train with someone is they only have one instructor certification and they have no record of ongoing training. Anybody that's serious about this stuff is going to be taking at least one outside class a year. Uh, I, I think a lot of us, think that two is probably a good number for a professional firearms instructor that may not be possible so single certificate only one certifying body is going to give that person a very small limited range of knowledge and if they don't have the if they're not investing in their self they're not going to be investing in their students so that's my quick way to parse that one yeah i tend to look at does their background match the courses that they're offering and by what i mean by that is if someone uh, has an NRA basic pistol cert or something, whatever the USCCA equivalent would be, but they're trying to teach very, you know, high-end tactics level courses or gunfighting courses. Well, the basic pistol certification has nothing to do with actual application of use of the pistol. It's just about safely using the pistol and target shooting. Um, and so I tend to look at that now if someone has an NRA basic pistol certification because the state said they had to have that to be able to teach their state level concealed carry class, but then they've got 20 years of operational experience in some capacity. All right. Maybe then you, you can, you can, you can extrapolate that they've got the experience to teach courses that they may be offering. Um, I tend to look at if I see an instructor's webpage and they have no information in a bio or a bio is very vague, uh, that tends to be a red flag for me. Uh, one of the reasons my my bios on mine are page or so description is there was an instructor that was working here in Georgia that was posting awards that he had allegedly received on his webpage that those awards don't exist. Because he was he was like putting them in terms that he had received the Georgia Post, which is a Peace Officer Standard Training Award for such and such. There's no such thing for that. 
and so I was kind of in a in a in a poke back thing of being very descriptive and very accurate and everything that I had put on mine just so uh, local students could contrast with that. Uh, the other thing I look for is are the courses that people are teaching are they relevant to the student? Uh, for instance, there was a group that was operating here in Georgia that was putting private citizens in training scenarios in which they were conducting traffic stops. What on earth? You know, if they've not had the basic training, to be, not saying that private citizens shouldn't be able to get that training, but it's just, okay, you're taking people who have no context, no frame of reference for the law, and now we're going to throw them into the scenario in which they're, quote, a law enforcement officer. That doesn't translate into their world. Getting robbed on the parking lot translates into their world. Um, that kind of thing. I, I look for another red flag for me is people teaching team tactics to people who just happen to sign up for the same class. Um, no. Now, if it's like a husband and wife or you bring a shooting buddy team, you know, something like that, and you're going to, some people you interact with regularly in real life, um, that I can see as, as valid. Uh, Eric and I were actually in a class uh, together as students. It was, a, it was a rifle class and rifle instructor class, no less. And the first exercise we did after everyone checked zero on their rifle was someone called for a four-man bounding overwatch exercise. And Eric and I were there with uh, Clark Sparrow, uh, who's another instructor in our area. And we knew that the three of us were going to be three of the four men on our team. And I looked around for whoever had their equipment put together correctly. And I walked over to a guy and I said, it looks like your equipment is squared away. Would you like to be on a team with us? He said, yes. And I said, now I understand here are the rules. If you shoot me, these other two guys are going to shoot you. If you shoot one of them, the other two of us, are you willing to accept those rules? He says, yes, actually I am. Thank you for letting me be on your team. And finally, we actually called a stop to it as it started. Whoa, 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 whoa. This is just not, uh, this isn't how this class should be progressing. So you know, those are just some of the things that I look at. Uh, Ryan, you got your hand up. Go ahead. So I, um, that's one of those things we look for when we're vetting instructors is uh, continuing education, right? When I, when I finally decided I was going to like really lean into this, like I'm going to be a firearms instructor thing. Uh, I, that was about seven years ago. And I have promised myself that I would get at least 100 formal hours of training every year. Now that's not it, like that's not all, you know, trigger pressing stuff, right? There's been a lot of adult education theory, medical stuff, legal stuff, all that stuff, right? So you're you're looking for that, but like, um, there are <laughs> local in instructors uh, that that I know that like they go to classes but like and they continually educate themselves but it's not what i would call legitimate education right so so like we, we tell students like like when when you're in classes like veteran instructors veteran instructors do they continually educate themselves like that's one of the first things that we we tell them to look for like do they continually educate themselves and i'm like i think there is a way where people can continually educate themselves just 
very poorly. Like that, that that's a thing. And it, it gets how, how, aside from like, you know, continual education, um, are they teaching stuff beyond their skill level? Are they teaching stuff that they shouldn't be teaching? Um, how do you, how, how do you like, it's like teaching discernment like is there like there's no way to teach discernment i think the only way you actually learn how to discern is from like hanging around people that are actually really squared away and do things correctly and then when you encounter people that aren't you can be like okay well this is this is nonsense this is tomfoolery but like i don't think like i don't know if like the average person that like we we want to send through a a carry permit class going out into the world that has that discernment. I think that comes from time. So how do you like, like so, I mean, so what, what you do, like if you have a good local training community is you, you refer them to people you recommend and you trust. Right. But there is a level of like, when I always tell students, they can contact me about if they're getting ready to take a class, like contact me, like send me the link. Let me take a look at it. Um, it's a small community. Um, I've either trained with them or trained for them or taught with them or taught for them. It's not that big of a community. Like, uh, so, um, I've, the fact I've never heard of them tends to mean something because it's not that big, the big of a community, but how do you like teach them discernment? Like in that way, like just because they, it, the, the whole, uh, when you said like the certifications that aren't real on somebody's profile like that was that, that there's a local guy that's got he, he's got an honorary degree from like some sort of eastern martial arts school that we all know is just nonsense like like it's a it's a fun thing like anytime he he pops up we're like oh it's this guy again but he has got a lot of people that come and train with him and like where do you where do you draw the line between like being like trying to be a professional educator like which is what i think most of us are trying to do um and being professional and doing that and then like talking crap about other instructors because i don't i never want to do that i don't ever want to like be in a class and talk crap about an instructor i, I don't want to I, 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 I it's not my thing I'm not a crab. I've never been a crab. I'm not going to be a crab. Like the rising tide, in my opinion, tends to carry most ships, maybe not all, but most ships. Um, so as long as they're getting education, but there is a, a point where like, how do you go about telling people like, like man, you, if you train with that guy and something happens, you're going to, going to end up in prison or dead. Like, how do you, I don't know how to do that. Uh, I was I, I was hoping you guys might want to do that. Well, we'll let Shannon give her answer. Um, well, first off, I always like to look for somebody you know that's well-rounded. Um, thank God for Range Master. <laughs> and as soon as you know, if I see that, okay, you know, I know what their training's like. Um, if everything is just you know, well, I don't even want to mention certain organizations because I do have certifications with those other organizations. But if I just see a long list with just one of those organizations, I kind of wonder, they're not, they haven't been exposed to a lot of different types of instructors. 
Um, the other thing I noticed is there's a lot of ranges that have classes, but they don't even list who the instructor is. It's just, you know, handgun essentials taught by who knows. Um, I see a lot of that. And, um, you know, like I said, I mainly teach basic. Um, I'll teach a little bit of intermediate. But um, if my ladies are looking for something more, thank goodness we have a lot of really good solid instructors here in the Southeast that I can lead them um, where to go. Um, but I'll usually tell them don't, don't sign up at you know, range X over here if you don't even know who the instructor is. You know, that to me, you're just throwing money out the window. I mean, you might be lucky. You might, you might get a really good instructor, um, but you don't know. So again, thank, thank God for, for range master and putting out some solid instructors. Um, so that's, that's the first thing I say, you know, if it says range master, you're, you're good. Eric, answer your own question. So the two things I look for right off the bat, because you get people that come to you and, you know, you don't always have the time to, to go and vet other instructors for them. So kind of my two red flags, and, and Lee and I have talked about this before, is one, and Lee touched upon it, if you can't list your credentials because you're some super government ninja and you've been to some school and you can't disclose where you at, um, yeah, I got no use for you. You know, uh, we were we were talking about another group uh, that popped up around us here in Atlanta, and uh, they uh, they had a very impressive resume, a cadre of instructors that were all high level, you know, very important military LE guys, but none of them used their real names. They all had their call signs, and I'm like look, dude, the, you know, we're not doing black ops here. If you can't put your name down and you can't put your, your experience and your skill set for people to look at you and say, yeah, you have the qualifications that I'm willing to pay you money, then that's a red flag right there. So that's my first one. The second one is uh, demos. There are certain instructors in the industry that, that either don't do demos or demonstrations of what they're doing or live fire, or they, um, they don't believe in demos. And to me, a demonstration is a critical part of the learning process, right? So if you are an instructor who doesn't believe in demonstrations, probably a, John's probably better at coming up with what that percentage would be, but you're probably in my estimation, you're missing out on 50% of the, uh, of the way people learn and, and, and how they're going to process what you're trying to teach them. So my two red flags, I kick out to people right away is like, if they don't list who they are and they don't list their, their, um, their resume and, or if you fire that through the grapevine or vetting that they don't do demo demos, then yeah, they're off my list. And, and really maybe it's because I've gotten older and, uh, and, and crabbier or whatever you want to call it, but there is no central resource for us as instructors to go in there and get rated. You can't look up on some website and say, Oh, look, John Q law over here. He's got a B plus rating as an instructor. 
So on some level, we don't want to talk bad about other instructors, like Ryan said, but on some level, when you get to a certain level of just plain idiocy, it's up, I feel it's incumbent upon us to, to warn people away from them. And I have no problem calling them out by name. Um, now, I will give a lot of latitude to instructors with different uh, views, different techniques, um, but there are some that are just, uh, Lee and I were joking about the other day, whoever that guy was that was doing that central axis relock technique, and I'm just like, yeah, no, no, I got no use for that dude. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think on some level, it's incumbent upon us to police ourselves with the fringes, because there's a couple other guys that we, we could talk about if we want to go down that road, but um, uh, there are certain people in this industry who are just truly doing a disservice. Like Ryan said, they're, they're going to get people hurt. And, and when we come across those people, I think it's our obligation to somebody, I'm not going to go out of my way and, and talk crap about them, but somebody asked me, I'm going to be like, yeah, no, stay away from that dude. So there is one instructor out there that, uh, I don't know if he's necessarily an instructor, but there's one, uh, internet, firearms personality out there that eric has a special love for and that he has now sent me so many of these guys videos to 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 scream about them that they are starting to his videos are starting to show up as suggestions on my youtube <laughs> feed so I've it's had to truly get entertaining <laughs> it truly is entertaining some of the stuff he comes up with oh my it, god it's entertaining if you but he know, doesn't mean it to be <laughs> <laughs> and if any of y'all want to know hit me behind the scenes because that's not the focus of this and i will send you some really good material to watch it's i know sometimes when my phone goes off and i look at it and it's like all right another video just dropped and eric just spent the last 20 <laughs> minutes watching it and now i he's gotta let me know what he thinks about it and it's uh anyway i, I opened up a web browser today and hit the youtube thing and like in the first row of suggestions was one of this guy's videos and i'm like well yep i haven't gotten my text from eric but it's coming because he just dropped another video today so um as far as the vetting thing that that ryan mentioned and rating thing that, that eric mentioned there is something in the works that's not necessarily going to solve that problem um there have been numerous attempts throughout the years to try to create some sort of accrediting body for firearms instructors and there's no formula for which it works um because they're they all become any formula you look at becomes all right if they have the paper credentials do they get in and even though they've got the paper credentials may not mean they've got the background credentials but then if we start looking at it from background does it become a click and we only let the people that we like in or and everything so it's 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 really touchy i think to try to come up with um um a workable solution in that but there's some of us are, are working on something behind the scenes that's uh that may address some of that but it's only going to matter to the people to whom it matters so we are at one hour and 20 minutes right now so we need to go around and do our final thoughts uh eric line final thoughts and where can people find you what do you have coming up uh, right now, I'm primarily doing uh, long-range precision for hunting applications. So uh, in October, I will be back out at our Texas location doing a uh, long-range rifle. And uh, hopefully in the fall, I'm going to try to uh, maybe get a, a course here locally in Atlanta up on the schedule. It's been a while. And 
uh, but I'll have more on that later. Other than that, uh, you can check me out uh, uh, through uh, All Fire Dynamics, uh, probably through Instagram. All right, John Hearn. Uh, no particular closing thought. I do like uh, some of the answers we've heard tonight. They were, they were pretty good. Uh, not the ones that came from Lee, but everybody else was pretty solid. Um, I was going to throw out there as far as other stuff coming up. Um, I'm going to be in the Chicago area at the end of September. Uh, I hear people complaining nobody ever comes to the Chicago area to teach. Well, I'm coming, so let's get some signups. Uh, the other open enrollment stuff I have, I'm going to be out at Mead Hall Range in November. Uh, probably the best source for all those uh, dates is jhern.eventbrite.com. That's uh, currently updated and has uh, tickets to all that. And uh, uh, already booking 2023, I'll have those dates up uh, in uh, hopefully by the end of the month. Shannon? Um, I'll be here in Georgia, uh, mainly doing uh, one-on-ones uh, in Gainesville, Georgia. Um I'm doing some intro to IDPA classes for women. Um, we're doing that through Armed Women of America, through um, Cherokee Gun Club. Um, that's been a lot of fun. It's getting the ladies used to moving and shooting. Um, I'll probably be putting together a um, ladies uh, EDC class, uh, learning the different options on how to carry what's available out there. It would be a non-shooting class. And last but not least, we'll probably put together an image-based decisional drills class um, sometime probably towards the end of the year. So, and you can find me, like I said, on my website, shannonpable.com or on Facebook. All right, Ryan, I know earlier you mentioned you have no law enforcement or military background, but as your job as an armed courier, you were occasionally someone attempted to rob you in a parking lot and i know you have you have a course on that uh but not how to rob people in a parking lot but how to deal with it on the other end so i mean that would be a that would be a fun course to teach actually um, <laughs> no, wouldn't. Teaching somebody how to rob someone in the parking lot um so yeah i just started a company uh it's called parking lot performance mm -hmm. uh the class the, the the flagship class for that is parking lot pistol um i've just got done workshopping it to uh to a local group uh dory miller gun club which i'm a part of uh citizen safety academy we're going to be probably doing the full class for the first time out at top gun in memphis with uh dugan and his guys out there um with like hey i like dugan dugan's good people um, uh, so i was i was smiling at eric's comment in the chat oh okay. um i agree but, uh, dugan has good people Dugan's good people. Um, and, and, and he's got a really solid crew out there at Top Gun in Memphis. So um, me and Ock are probably going to uh, take it out there sometime in November to uh, actually do the full-on eight-hour class. Um, I've never, like, built a, a full class like that from, from start, to, start to finish. So this is the first one I've ever done that, that wasn't, like, you know, NRA Basic Pistol, Carry Permit Class, uh, NRACCW, you know, stuff that was written out for me. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited about that. Um, other than that, um, I'm at ontargetshootingsports.com, Ryan at ontargetshootingsports.com, Ryan at citizensafety.com. Um, I'm, I'm either teaching or AIing for both of those places on a pretty regular basis. Um, I, I, this was fun. Uh, I'm really glad I got to be here. Um, 
Hearn is, I, I understand he's still a little upset about, you know, the one win I got from him many years ago at uh, AttackCon, but I'm glad he designed, he decided he could be in the same room with me, you know, virtually for, for long enough to, to talk. So that's good too. All right. See ya. It's always fun to make fun of John Hearn. Uh, I just thought of something uh, as you were, you were talking, Ryan, and this this may fire back up. I may need to let everybody go have have one more round of comments after this. Great big giant red flag for me is anytime there is some sort of pivotal event. And then all of a sudden people start throwing up classes to want to try to capitalize on the media attention of that little event, such as the church in Texas where the, the individual made the 15-yard headshot and everything. And all of a sudden you had people with no background whatsoever in actual physical security throwing up, quote, church security classes. Yeah. And that, that, that to me is... Uh, is is a big red flag and i used to joke that uh, after the somali pirate thing that i was going to uh, get a pontoon boat and go on, on a pond or a lake somewhere and teach anti-piracy classes and uh, I, I have no background in teaching anti-piracy but hey yeah it doesn't stop these other people and then uh we could totally be pirates me and you we could totally <laughs> do dude yeah. i mean we could do this well eric could be a viking uh, we could do that Come we could on. go invade island countries and, um, well, you know, you know, you know, pirates are just are just you know Vikings that couldn't handle cold weather. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, um, and one other thing just absolutely just irritates me is when, kind of along the lines of what we're saying, when we have something like an incident that happened in the mall in Indiana, the details aren't really publicly known and we got people that are creating drills and stuff based off a comment made in a law enforcement briefing which they had to come out the next day and issue a statement clarifying something that was put out in the briefing and i have actually written incident reports based on arrests and incidents that i've dealt with and then i see the media report that comes out based on my report and go that has no that's not what happened it's not what happened and yeah but the internet takes it and makes you know these drills or whatever out of them and you know then we need to be grounded in in reality with that. dude i got i got dudes coming into the range they can't put 10 rounds in a four inch circle at seven yards throwing the target to the back wall and trying to draw their gun and put two rounds at like their adjusted size target at 40 yards in however yeah. amount of time. I'm like, bro, what are you doing? You're, you, you have a, you have a Blackhawk Serpa, like, <laughs> like let's, let's prioritize on what we need to be focusing on a little uh, bit. Like, come on. Uh, that, that, that thing is that, that, the, the Dijkstra drill is driving me nuts right now. Yeah. Yeah. I can't get I can't get past it. But but coming in the fall, I guess we'll be out on Lake Lanier teaching a, a Viking class, right, Eric? I'm proud <laughs> it. Let's do it. Yeah, I got to give thumbs up from Eric. Uh, thanks to all the panel for being here tonight, and to the audience. We know that your most important asset 
is your time. And thank you. Thank you for choosing to spend your time with us.